You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge uh, with Allah from Satan the Accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the Weekend World Show with me, Waleed Ahmed, standing in for Mr. Arsene Ahmed. He will be joining us uh, later during the course of the program. The Weekend World Show is an interactive broadcast. It means that our listeners have the opportunity to join in in any of the discussions that may be taking place. So if you do want to share your thoughts or views on anything that we may be covering, then uh, please do so by ringing in 0208-687-7878 is the number. Or you can use the more modern method of uh, what used to be called Twitter, it's X now, and post your thoughts on Voice of Islam UK. That's the Twitter, that's the handle, or the X handle, the Twitter handle, however it is referred to. Uh, the views on the weekend will show are those of the individuals and guests, and not necessarily of the Ambiya Muslim community. And uh, my co-host uh, for today is our young Imam from uh, London, Daniel Kano, uh, one who's not averse to uh, uh, going around globetrotting and seeing various places around the world. Good morning, Assalamualaikum, Daniel. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Okay. Now, uh, let me just give you something uh, uh, to um, lend um, your grey matter on. Um, and this is uh, a quote from Nelson Mandela. To deny people their human rights is to challenge their very humanity. Nelson Mandela speaks from personal experience of having his rights taken away when he was branded as a terrorist and imprisoned for 27 years and eventually released to become one of the great statesmen of our time. Uh, what we have been seeing in Gaza is quite horrendous. And uh, seeing the thousands of women and children and other civilians being killed is quite unbearable. Uh, your thoughts, Daniel, on that? My thoughts are that I am sick and tired of waking up every morning and mm. seeing um, all these headlines and finding out about the increased death toll every single day and then going to sleep as well before going to sleep in my bed scrolling, scrolling through social media and seeing the atrocities so if I am tired in my comfortable bed seeing this play out just imagine what the Palestinians mm. um, are feeling at the moment having been through almost two months now isn't it yeah. of this conflict yeah. and well two months of this active conflict but 75 years in a way yes yes a lot of suffering that's taking place and um um, I suppose there is a certain degree of fatigue as well for people who are just watching. Absolutely. Uh, and if that is happening to those people who are watching, which is essentially what you're saying, imagine the uh, uh, the turmoil that is uh, uh, being uh, inflicted upon the people themselves who are you, suffering this. Exactly. I think what we're going through, there's an article published in Al-Hakam, which is the English uh, weekly newsletter of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well, about this um, emotion that we're feeling. It's something, I don't remember the exact term, but it's something to do with uh, having some sort of empathy with the people who are suffering. And then it kind of makes you feel like you are suffering as well to a degree. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and I'm sure a lot of us are going through that at the moment mm -hmm. because of social media. Yes. And it's also very frustrating as to the way that uh, um, people... And certain nations are uh, supporting what is taking place Absolutely. and trying to explain away, and um, and openly not supporting a ceasefire. Yes, uh, that's uh, that's uh, strange. Uh, times. Very sad. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, we'll be discussing that hopefully anyway, um, uh, later on during the course of the program. So if your listeners do want to get anything off their chest, then please do uh, uh, you know, remember what has been said before, that you can join in any of the discussions. 0208687-7878 is the number. Uh, the uh, oh, axe handle is uh, at Voice of Islam UK. Is that how it's referred to? You're young and you're with this, with it, as so to speak. Is that how you refer to nowadays, uh, this Twitter business? I may not be so young anymore oh. because even I myself refer to it as Twitter. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, um, uh, Elon Musk has a lot to answer for, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry that his, uh, his rocket didn't do too well. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. You said he was 60% um, confident that it will, uh, it will succeed, and um, I think he's probably right. They both, uh, both these um, stages blew up, didn't they? One stage blew up uh, soon after um, the launch. launch, and yeah. then the, the other one didn't later. And anyway. then they lost contact. Okay, let's. can you just let us know what we have in the show then uh, this morning? Yes, so first up uh, will be Dr. Farid to discuss some of the top stories in recent days, including <coughs> obviously the Israeli claims of hospitals as a command center mm. um, for Hamas terrorists. And also, was Suela Braverman's sacking long time coming? Ah, Following that, uh, you and I will be discussing some contentious theological points, including why is God referred to in different pronouns? Um, not the pronouns that we <laughs> know of these days, the 51 different pronouns, or yeah. God knows how many, 150 different pronouns, but the uh-huh. traditional pronouns, right. I, we, and he. Okay. And thus, can Trinity be an acceptable concept? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and after the 11 o'clock news? After the 11 o'clock news, hopefully Asan Ahmadi will join us by then and we will be joined by a freelance journalist from WordPress on the impact of covering the Israel-Palestine conflict and what are her hopes of what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And following that? Following that, we have a BBC historian who has been on our show a few times, Dr. Louise Raw, to discuss the peace marches and the impact the then Home Secretary, Suela Braverman, had by calling them hate marches. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Thought provoking. Um, anyway, um, I hope uh, it is thought-provoking for our listeners, uh, as mentioned before, uh, and I'm, I am trying to plug this as much as possible because we do want to hear from you. If you do have any uh, views that you want to share, then please do ring in 0208-687-7878 or uh, use the X uh, medium. Uh, Twitter, whatever you may want to refer it to as, uh, at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam on DAB radio, uh, mobile or live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk oblique live. This is uh, a weekend world with um, uh, myself, Badi Damad and Daniel Kalon, the views as mentioned before on the weekend world show, and those of the individuals and guests. Right, so we have a news review. I'm just trying to see if we've got a jingle uh, for that, but apparently we don't at the moment. So uh, just um, uh, we'll go with that. We'll proceed without it. Um, now, um, this is uh, a report that um, we have um, identified in The Guardian. Its headline is IDF evidence so far falls well short of Al-Shifa Hospital being Hamas headquarters. So, Daniel, what uh, what did this uh, story have to say? So, the story states that prior to their capture of Dar al-Shifa, 
Hospital, the Israeli Defense Forces went to great lengths to depict the medical complex as a headquarters for Hamas, from where its attacks on Israel were planned. The evidence produced so far falls well short of that. IDF videos have shown only modest collections of small arms, mostly assault rifles, recovered from the extensive medical complex. In a video shown later, the number of guns in the bag had doubled. The IDF claimed, claimed its video of what it found at the hospital was unedited, filmed in a single take, but the BBC analysis found it had been edited. Mm. But the attempt to present what has been found so far as significant is bound to fuel scepticism about whether whatever is presented later. Mm. So this uh, particular report not only seems to indicate that uh, the evidence for this being uh, Hamas headquarters is, well, doesn't exist, and also that uh, the IDF um, is is fabricating. I mean, it's uh, it has uh, rebounded, hasn't it, this attempt to try and uh, show that there is evidence for this kind of thing. Anyway, let, we'll be talking to Dr. Fried in a minute, but uh, before we do that, let's listen to this, a couple of clips. One is from uh, uh, Rishi Snusunek. Uh, let's see what he had to, let's hear what he had to say. You describe this as Israel's darkest hour. Well, then it's for me to say I'm proud to stand here with you in Israel's darkest hour as your friend. We will stand with you in solidarity. We will stand with your people. And we also want you to win. Thank you. Thank you very much. Prime Minister Sunak Rishi, I want to thank you for your solidarity, your clear, unwavering support from the minute this war began. Chancellor Schultz, who also visited here, called Hamas uh, the new Nazis. He was right. You fought the Nazis 80 years ago. Uh, resolutely, uh, and the entire world supported your action. President Biden called Hamas worse than ISIS. He's right, too. Hamas are the new Nazis, they're the new ISIS, and we have to fight them together, just as the world, the civilized world, united to fight uh, the Nazis and united to fight Hamas. It must together now stand with Israel as we fight and defeat, defeat Hamas. Rishi uh, Sunak uh, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, this is uh, another clip that is uh, uh, that is indicating what the hospital. Well, it's a clip about the Hufa Hospital. Let's hear what this has to offer. Uh, a vengeance, and the world has a responsibility to stop it. Eleven, more than eleven Palestinian uh, killed. Most of them, sixty-seven percent women and children, is enough. That has to stop. Foreign Minister: Seven Jordanian field hospital staff in Gaza were injured. How are they doing? Uh, their injuries are uh, under control. They are in stable condition. Uh, but again, as I said, there are 250 Palestinians who took shelter. There are about 12 bodies uh, who were killed, Palestinians who were killed, and there, there's no room uh, and, and means to bury them. And Israel is still besieging the hospital because its tanks are all around it. Becky, let me just say, we got calls today at the foreign ministry uh, from the sons of 400 people who've taken shelter in the Latin monastery in, in Gaza, about four kilometers away from our hospital. They're pleading with us. One doctor called Nahat Saba called us from Romania saying his mother does not have access to water. She's among 400 people who've taken shelter in that church. Now, are you telling me there are military tunnels under, under, under this church? Uh, those people cannot move. They asked if they can move to our hospital, but Israeli army is shooting at anybody that moves within the vicinity. So again, this has gone beyond what anybody can 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 uh, stay silent against. Any other country who's done that will be under sanctions by now. So why not against Israel? Is it above the law? This is President obviously how the world is, is, is behaving. 
Right, so that was um, comments about the um, uh, the chief hospital. Um, we were discussing uh, what the Guardian had said, and as mentioned before, that uh, we will be joined by Dr. Farid Ahmed, who is the author of many historical articles in Islam and regularly appears on the Weekend World Show. And I'm not sure whether he's been put through yet. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, are you? Can you hear me? Assalamu alaikum, yes. Oh, Assalamu yes. alaikum. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, in 1918, uh, U.S. Senator Hiram uh, Warren Johnson is purported to have said, the first casualty when war comes is truth. Uh, are you convinced that Hamas had a command center under the Darul Shifa hospital? Uh, go back. Let's go to the Holy Quran, which uh, refers to the children of Israel. And uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, says very clearly, the children of Israel and confound not truths with falsehood nor hide the truths knowingly. Okay, so uh, it's it's uh, regarding the favors which Allah bestowed on the children of Israel, mm-hmm. and so it's so let's start that as uh, as a as a base that uh, they were warned very early on that they, if they fulfill the covenant with Allah, then Allah would bestow on them many favors, and if they did not then they would have suffered the consequences. And uh, this verse is so pertinent uh, to what is happening now. Mm-hmm. Confound not truths with falsehood, nor hide the truths knowingly. And uh, with regard to the Shifa hospital, whether there's a underground uh, command center, God knows, Alimul Gabi wa Shahada, God knows the sea, the, the, is the knower of the seen and the unseen. But the, what we do know is that there are underground areas anyway under the hospital. This were the uh, the this was built by the Israelis in 1983, mm-hmm. uh, and when they occupied the, the territory, and they did build uh, uh, underground. Uh, I mean, in all b- big buildings, there are underground areas. There's nothing new. Uh, it's a bunker system or a command center. There, there's no real proof of that. And also, the we know that uh, the Americans have downgraded this to, uh, to the wording. They've said it's a node. Mm. A node is a branch. Mm-hmm. And you have to we have to remember that uh, Hamas is a resistance movement. Uh, uh, these are resistance fighters. They won't have one command center. And what uh, commentators have also said that you don't expect that they'll have banks of computers and uh, television screen, uh, computer screens, and uh, all this network going on. Uh, the Israeli technology is so advanced that if you had something going, something working on in this fashion they would be able to pick it up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be able to identify the sources. So where resistance movement moves from place to place. They don't stay in one place. They are mm-hmm. spread out. So the uh, they may have been in the hospital, but to, from, from all the evidence we received, we've got so far, uh, there's uh, no no clear evidence. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is uh, the Mark Regev, the uh, Israeli spokesman, I mean, who... Who, will, who can make you believe that an elephant is a rabbit and a rabbit is an elephant? <laughs> he can <laughs> convince you the way it works. He, mm. he's a, uh, mm. uh, he said, "Oh, they'll give us time, give us time." But mm. I think the, the Americans are, or the world as a whole, uh, they're getting frustrated with uh, this uh, uh, this mode of uh, reasoning. Yeah. Uh, Basically, it's a hospital, and uh, one of the another uh, this morning, someone was one of the uh, the UN spokesman was saying that uh, uh, there was no fighting. There was fighting around the hospital, 
but no one no one was shooting from the hospital mm. it's not yeah. a legitimate target right right yeah so, so yes. i mean that's that's basically we are yeah. and also remember uh, uh, saying about uh, being underground french resistance during the world war a lot, lot of analogies are made that this is like a world war 2 situation where um, you know the Mm-hmm. The, the the western the the, uh, the britain and usa bombed uh, germany and france and mm, resident yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. the, the, the well, resident and also other uh, other yes. places but uh, the uh, those the, are the, they were also french resistance they were also mm. hiding mm. they were hiding you don't you don't put, you don't put all your armaments up for everyone to see no, no. so this is part of war mm. it's a uh, so that's where we are but yeah. there's at the moment there's no proof and mm. even if there was i don't think uh, what the what generally is said is now being understood is that it's just a place where they may have been mm. uh, but they did not uh, they they move from place to place mm. uh, the other thing we have uh, regarding the the film which we saw mm. and uh, whether on the medical circles we've uh, been circulating that this was these weapons were found in an mri scanner room Right. And uh, uh, number one, why was the MRI scanner not working, mm-hmm. or, or why was that building demolished? It, it it's basically the MRI scanner was not working because electricity had run out, uh-huh. and, and someone may have put some weapons in there. Right. But uh, M- MRI scanners they, they couldn't have been there permanently because MRI scanners are based is a big magnet. Oh. You can't put anything metal in a mag- I remember I had a MRI scan many years ago. My glasses had a, a metal uh, bit to it uh, 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 attachment, uh-huh. and uh, the operator told me to put it on one side. Right. And he didn't realize there was some metal on it, and then he started. My glasses started to move, you know, out, uh, away from the scanner, but <laughs> they, were, they were about ten feet away. Mm-hmm. And then he was laughing. He's saying, "What's what's wrong with your glasses?" <laughs> Put some metal in them. Well, so thank you, metal. thank you for providing yeah. that. Um, yeah. I think technical insight uh, because I, I I don't have a medical background or a technical background as such. And when I saw this point being raised on social media, um, I didn't fully understand it. But now I understand. Mm. You can't mm. have metal in the same room as yeah. MRI scanners, right? Yeah. But just yeah. just before Daniel asks his question, I just want to point out that Hamas has um, consistently categorically denied that Al-Shifa hospital has been used as in any way as a command center. Mm. And also there has been an offer both by the, and, and so have the uh, medical staff there, that they've denied that this kind of use has been actually been put, uh, Al-Shifa has been put to any kind of use of this kind. And also there have, was an offer for an independent uh, body to come in mm. and examine and search and uh, confirmed that it was uh, it was not being used that way, and that was uh, rejected by the IDF. Sorry, your question. If the IDF had allowed that, then that would have been uh, yeah. actu- actual proof and yes. actual evidence, yes. rather than, for example, incredible the, evidence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Rather than the video mm. that I'm not sure if you've seen it, you or doctors have seen it of this supposed doctor or medical nurse um, who was acting as an as a Palestinian nurse and telling us about the whole situation about how Hamas is. Uh, harboring their weapons and everything, but then it turned out that that nurse was actually an Israeli actress. Uh, posing yes, I've as seen that. I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, that, that brings me to my next point as well, which it, this whole thing about truth and falsehood being conflated. I think Malcolm X actually um, really summarized it well, and he foresaw this as well in his time, where he said, "If you're not careful, the newspapers or the media in our days will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing." 
So I think that kind of summarizes that whole point that we need to be very careful about what we, um, you know, what we believe straight away. We need to look at evidence, credible evidence, before believing anything. So, yeah, so I'm for that insight. Yeah, I mean, basically, like I've said, God knows exactly what what the situation is, but but the the, the basically what everyone what everyone seems to be saying now is that uh, there is there is not one major one central command center. Yeah. Uh, under the hospital, and also uh, one of the ex, ex prime minister of Israel, uh, forgotten which uh, who it was, but he said, uh, uh, I think only yesterday or the day before, oh, I that think he surprised. Oh, hmm. uh, who, no, who, who, yeah, who said uh, hmm. that uh, he's surprised that they're, they're concentrating on Al Shifa. Uh, he said that he thinks the centuries in Khan Yunis. Oh. He said that as far as he's, he, he says that there's no. Why should they put it? Uh, Al Shifa is in. Uh, in an area which is closest, uh, which uh, uh, is is in the in the uh, in the in the south, uh, right. in the north. Sorry, the north, sorry. No. yeah. And they, why would they put it there? They put it there. Put it in the south, and it'll be. He thinks the centre is Khan Yunus. See, here's the thing: the more layers of lies there are, uh, and the more actors there are on the stage, the more chance of those layers uh, being exposed, even unintentionally, maybe by the ex-prime minister. But this brings me to my next question. The layers of lies, potential lies, uh, Dr. Saab. Um, you know, even if we agree that the Hamas attack on the seventh October, if everyone agrees, right, on planet Earth that the um, it was a horrific attack, um, but the fact is that Israel has now downgraded the number of civilians killed from one thousand four hundred to one thousand two hundred, uh, as it appears that the two hundred um, difference was Hamas attackers, and even out of those um, twelve hundred, as we know, uh, a few hundred of those were actually. IDF um, soldiers off duty or on duty whatever the case but they were IDF trained soldiers most of them go through uh, training anyway it's mandatory most citizens of Israel has to have to go through mandatory training so in a way they were IDF soldiers so the question being asked Dr. Saab is uh, did Hamas kill their own soldiers those 200 or was this done by Israel and if it was done by Israel then the natural question arises might they have also killed their own civilians because then this wasn't a one-sided attack it wasn't just Hamas attacking it was also Israel um, shooting back, so could they have killed their own civilians? Well, we 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 don't know the full story of what happened after the attack when the Israeli forces eventually turned up at those in those areas which Hamas had attacked. But uh, uh, some uh, experts have said that when they came in, they came in with the Israelis came in with force, and they came in with heavy weapons. And some of the damage which has been which has been inflicted on the buildings is not from grenades; it's from tank fire. And some yes. of those killed, the, 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 the Israeli civilians killed. In fact, they haven't been very open about how people, how some of those people were killed. We know some were obviously, you know, were, 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 was, was, were killed in cold blood, which uh, we, we condemn. Mm -hmm. But uh, the civilians, uh, well, you, let's split it in two. One is the soldiers. There were stories like the soldiers were lying in bed and they were killed. Well, they are soldiers, <laughs> you know, they they are part of the IDF, yeah. and so they are legitimate targets because this is a, a, a resistance war. Yeah. But uh, as far as the civilians are concerned, yes, there are stories that when the uh, the well, the, uh, we say it's the IDF. They've made this a misnomer. It's not a it's, a, it's an army. It's not a defense force, it's an army. Like any force. Yep. Britain has an army. We don't call it the, uh, the British BDF, the British Defense Force. We call it the British Army. So they've tried to manipulate the name as, as if as Israel is always on the defensive. 
and uh, the IDF is only a defensive force. In, it's a very vicious, aggressive force. It's a mind game. It's a mind game. Yes, yeah. so the IDF is a complete misnomer. Yeah. And they keep uh, we keep hearing it on the news. Keep an IDF spokesman, IDF spokesman. You know, when we were yeah. Britain was at war in Iraq, said it wasn't said it was the BDF, the British Defence Force. Exactly. I think Dr. Sami is referring to this. There's a report in the Haaretz, the Israeli newspaper, that the, and I quote. The police investigation, there's a police investigation apparently, found that a military helicopter that fired at Hamas on the Nova Festival apparently also hit some participants of the festival, uh, yeah. end of quote. So, yes, the pilot admit, also admitted so, that. So the first, news, yeah, yeah. yeah, this will filter out over, over mm. the next few months. Like, mm. the, yeah, like, like the, the hospital situation, they say it will take time. This will also take time. And I think this is why uh, they're not... Uh, uh, we not too much detail is coming about uh, coming out about the the causes of death. Mm. They're uh, they're keeping that uh, basically of the of the civilians. Some of them obviously were shot, but the mm. others we don't we don't know. Exactly. There, were... I think there was another um, news report as well from Haaretz. It's an Israeli newspaper mm. that um, yes. Hamas supposedly Hamas didn't even know about the rave. They didn't go with the intention of attacking the people at the rave. They mm. went with the intention of attacking civilians. Now, these are Israeli newspapers reporting this 60 days after the attack, but nonetheless, they are reporting it. Um, anyway, Valisov, uh, do we have another another question on this topic? No, no, yes. I mean, um, um, Israel estimates Hamas have captured around 240 hostages. Israel states that they will not stop until they, they are released. Hamas say they will exchange hostages for the over, uh, I think, 4,000 uh, Palestinian hostages Israel has, uh, has held, and many are children and, and women. What should or could be done to have all the hostages uh, released, in in your view, Doctor? That's, that, that's mm. well. It's a difficult question. Mm. Uh, one is, I think, uh, the Hamas. Uh, in, in a in a in in one sense, they must have been surprised at the number of hostages that turned up, mm. and uh, they shouldn't have taken innocent women and children. The soldiers, yes. So those were legitimate. Uh, prisoners and uh, used to prisoners. Uh, so, but uh, in any case, so they've got about uh, two two hundred or so uh, hostages, and uh, they are the latest figure I've I've read is seven thousand two hundred Palestinian in Israeli jails. Two hundred of them are children. <laughs> yeah, and mm. uh, and many of the uh, some of them have been convicted, but many of the, not the children, the the adults. Uh, some uh, have been sentenced, but some are, are being held there without without being uh, without mm. trial. And even uh, since 7th October, over a thousand have been uh, arrested in the West Bank and taken into into Israeli jails. And they've under, under new uh, stringent uh, uh, security measures, mm. and they've got no right to to, to uh, without charge. So uh, we're talking about hostages. Uh, Israel takes hostages all the time. Mm-hmm. They do it under the cover, the camouflage of uh, a st- it's, a, it's a state matter, but basically it's illegal even in, in international law. Mm-hmm. But they so so out of those seven thousand two hundred in, in, in Israeli jails, many of them can be released. They are no threat. What about the two hundred children? The two hundred children being held in Israeli jails. They're mm. under, under 14, 15, 15 year olds. Yeah, Why? It, it might be a state matter, but it, it would be a, an apartheid state matter mm. if they want to mm. accept it as a state matter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is what this is their excuse. So, the the uh, what Israel is saying, he released the hostages first, 
but uh, that's not going to happen. Why should they release the hostages? We will they be will they offer an amnesty to have Hamas? We already said we're going to destroy you. Mm. So they, 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 the Israelis can't have it, have it both ways, saying that we're going to release the hostages and then we'll have a ceasefire. But what, what's the ceasefire for? Uh, the, the, the Western or the, uh, the Western, the, a lot of uh, the, those people who are against the ceasefire say it will give Hamas time to uh, regroup, to reform, mm. to regroup. Mm. But uh, it also gives Israel time to regroup. Yeah. So, if yeah. I say uh, this yeah. is a, a, a this is a war situation. Mm. Yeah, yes. But uh, in the long term, mm. uh, hostages have to be released, and Israel has to release uh, the people, the, uh, the number of prisoners. They, they, I suppose, there will be a, some sort of prisoner exchange. But I think Netanyahu is basically <laughs> against. He doesn't want uh, he, the moment this finishes, he's finished as well. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to prolong it, and I think as the there is a this diff, there is a, a, a not a, a no conformity in the Israeli thinking. Mm-hmm. I think they, on one hand they're extreme right wingers, extremists who just want to demolish Gaza mm-hmm. and as, kill as many Palestinians as possible. And the other hand, there are some who are probably saying that you know hold on, let's. Uh, negotiate but i think the right wingers have the upper hand at the moment for now but it it feels like uh, netanyahu has truly fallen out of favor not just with um his fellow israelis some fellow israelis there was a call for his resignation recently exactly right just before Mm. this all Mm. started so but even afterwards oh even after there Mm. we are Mm. and but also the change in narrative the change in tone with the cnn and bbc um, being staunch supporters of him and his regime earlier, but now hmm. um, they are calling him out. So it seems like maybe he is no longer an asset, but more of a liability. Hmm. And one point I just want to mention is, and uh, His Holiness mentioned, is that it's uh, covered up and it shouldn't be, is that the prisoners that have been released by the uh, by Hamas, hmm. uh, um, those who have been interviewed, have said that they were well kept exactly. and they were they were treated well. They were fed the exact same food as yes. the Hamas yes. Um, yes. fighters and. Yes. And so uh, they're being referred to as animals, but they're not quite uh, animals. Exactly. Yeah, and seven that. prisoners have been killed in Israeli jails in the since, since October the seventh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a, an important contrast that can be uh, drawn. Uh, we have to move on, Doctor Saab. There was one important, uh, uh, well, one significant news, uh, uh, domestic news regarding um, the UK um, f- Home Minister who was who was fired um, um but Daniel will introduce that uh, home for secretary. us the home secretary yes. Yes. so it's uh, it might be domestic but it was also um in a way linked a, to this yes. whole conflict yeah. isn't it so british yeah. prime minister rishi sunak has sacked home secretary suela braverman after mounting pressure on him to act against her the dismissal came after braverman drew anger from within the conservative party and the opposition labor party after pro palestinian protests in london she wrote an opinion piece for the Times of London where she blamed the police for playing favourites and for taking a lenient stance towards pro-Palestinian protests. She described the protesters as pro-Palestinian mobs and hate marchers. Hmm. She didn't appear to um, help the situation as Home Secretary. Wasn't her job to support the police and promote harmony in this country, do you think, uh, Dr. Sir? Yeah, the job of the Home Secretary, uh, it's a very, it's one of the most important jobs of state. Uh, it, Calm the country, stabilize the country, don't inflame matters. Mm. Uh, that's the point uh, of the Home yeah. Secretary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, keep, 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 uh, keep the home safe, keep it uh, under control. Uh, 
understand where uh, the different sections of society see where they're coming from, uh, under, understand the sentiments. Uh, I remember uh, Theresa May when she was uh, Prime Minister overruling, I know she was the Home Secretary, uh, when Boris Johnson wanted to bring water cannon in from Germany, oh, you yeah. know, to quell riots, and she stamped down on him and said, "No way, we're not. We're not. We're not a country who's going to use water cannon on demonstrators." Mm. And you know, and those, uh, I think, water cannons are still lying around somewhere, waiting someone to to, to buy them or mm. whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> but, yes. but uh, that's that's the sort of. She was a very very. I, I think she's a good home secretary. Mm. But I think was uh, this was above the. Uh, the remit of the, not not the remit uh, above the qualification I would say of Suela. Mm. Uh, it's a poor reflection on Rishi that he actually appointed her, uh, uh, with the warning that many people were giving her that she would she was not uh, uh, she was not suitable for the job mm. because she had already and been fired from it once, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, and and because of her views, her, her, her extremist. Uh, you know, ultra-nationalistic ultra views mm. and, uh, you know, uh, anti-multiculturalism views, although she's part of the success of, of multiculturalism. So The irony. Yeah, would, would, you, would you then say that when she called uh, these marches hate marches and st stated multiculturalism isn't working, that she was indeed dividing communities rather than bringing them together? Well, no doubt about it. I said whatever, what... what uh, I think the general feelings you ask anyone, most uh, the majority of the uh, people feel that yeah, she did inflame hatred. She had her uh, spat with the police. Uh, you don't do that in public. What uh, was said at the time was that yes, there are if there are uh, differences of opinion between the police and the home secretary, the home secretary calls the police chief. And they discuss these things in private. They don't discuss this in public. Mm. It's not a public spat. You, you, yes, there are the, there are differences of opinion. How you, but you, you, this is all done behind closed doors, mm. yeah, and it's not made public. You don't uh, make these issues, any tensions you have, open uh, in in uh, you know, and then people get the wrong idea. Then people start saying, okay, we'll, we'll this is what exactly what happened in this situation, was that uh, when the moment. He said they said uh, the police were favoring one party against another, or one group of demonstrators, and that's why the far right decided, well, okay, okay, she's talking on our behalf. Mm. She's saying, why are we victimized? Why aren't the hate marches, mm. the so-called hate marches, uh, arrested, and so forth? I mean, these, it, 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 she made a complete mess of it. But it basically, as I said, it's a reflection on Rishi's poor judgment that uh, someone. Which he was warned about that eventually he would end up sacking her. He had to sack, so it basically weakens his position, his position and uh, his integrity considerably. Mm. Do you think she's there's... a loose cannon? Basically, she was a loose cannon. Mm. Do you think there was an ulterior ulterior motive uh, as far as she was concerned that she is trying to uh, go for the Tory leadership? Uh... Well, that, yeah, I, I, that's been mentioned, but uh, uh, there's so much speculation about. Uh, whether she does, she wants to, but uh, we also hear that she doesn't have that many as many supporters no. as uh, she's uh, as it is assumed she has. Mm. Uh, the far right, if there are the the right people on the right, probably looking for someone else. Mm. Uh, she would be a liability rather than an asset. Mm. Uh, she's okay. I think she's okay on the back benches. I think she had she the support of 27 when uh, she ran for the leadership. Uh, 
Yes. Um, so yes, you're right. Um, he doesn't have much support. Well, no. he didn't have much support, but yeah, he may have garnered some. Yeah, who knows but exactly? Yeah. Who knows, yeah. Yeah. Um, your question, sir. My question, my my question is actually rather just some input. Um, that hmm. I do think that she genuinely um divided the communities because hmm. we see that. Uh, where on the one hand you had this huge pro-Palestinian march, almost a million people, biggest mm. march since 20 years since the Iraq mm. war and everything. Um, on the other hand, we had uh, an anti-march in a way of mm. ultra-nationalists and it was actually the majority of people arrested by the police were from those, from the white national, mm. Uh, mm. you know, ultra-hatred march type of people. And they were the ones who were... In a way, supporting the ideology and the rhetoric of Swala Bravman, mm. so it just shows that she was the one who actually stoked that fire. Um, if she maybe if she hadn't um, been so outspoken of her extreme views, mm. then uh, those that group of people wouldn't have become so emboldened and turned up at the yeah. protest. Yeah. At the yeah. peaceful and, and talk, talking about hate marches, uh, I mean, with hate is the wrong word anyway. I mean, the oil, just oil protesters, they hate the oil companies. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they, I mean, but you don't call them hate marches. Yeah, exactly. they are the, the fracking, anti-fracking group. They they hate the fracking companies. Exactly. But they don't call them hate. We, we don't use that word. Yeah. No, they, they, don't, they don't like them. Mm. They're anti so and so. But uh, and this was uh, evidently the majority, the number of people uh, who who participate, who took part in the marches, and also uh, uh, and I was reading in the the Times letters column. Uh, many of, uh, usually it's not very favorable to the Palestinians, but uh, there's a, a, a Jewish uh, lady who wrote in that uh, it wasn't anti-Semitic. I was there. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a Jew. I was there, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and I was uh, uh, applauded, and I was looked, uh, I was uh, treated with respect. Mm-hmm. So basically. No. Anti-Semitism yeah. doesn't make sense okay. anyway because Arabs yeah. are Semites themselves. The Holy Prophet of Islam was a Semite. It, was, it just doesn't make sense. No, no. Um, yeah. Dr. Zab, before we let you go, I just want to ask you uh, about the new appointments that have been made. Do you think that uh, uh, Mr. Cleverly will bring a calming influence uh, to the uh, to the Home Office uh, with his appointment? Yes. Do you think? Do you think it's a positive change? I think. Change? Well, I, I hmm? let, let's say this: this, this government isn't going to last very long. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, whatever, whether he's good or not, uh, I think at the moment the whole batch of ministers is below the caliber which we uh, we had say a decade ago or twenty okay. years ago. It's all. So, uh, I don't have much confidence that. Uh, Right. Uh, Mr. Cleverly will. Be, I guess mean, Netanyahu and the Conservatives mm, have that in common. That yeah, okay. unnumbered. But something, somebody from uh, a decade ago, David Cameron, has been brought in at, at yeah. the uh, Foreign Office. Do you think he will make a, a difference to the UK stance, particularly in uh, with with Palestine and Israel, or is it going to be the, more of the same? It's it's going to be more of the same. I think oh. it's, uh, you know, it's uh, he's been responsible for so much. Uh, uh, what chaos? Uh, well, the chaos, the chaos, um, the Brexit, uh, although unintentionally. Yeah, the Brexit and all, yeah, the Brexit and the. Uh, what happened the, in Libya? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the he's a he's a good he's a statesman like character. Mm. Uh, he brings some uh, body to the Conservative Party, mm. but it shows the dearth of. Uh, uh, of uh, of of quality in in the uh, 
in the party mm-hmm. that uh, they, he couldn't they couldn't appoint someone else as the as a home uh, uh, as a foreign secretary. Mm. He had to bring someone from <laughs> from the past. Mm. Okay. So that's where we. You know, so I don't have much confidence that uh, things will improve. All right. Okay. Well, my have, opinion. Uh, yes. Okay. No. Thanks very much for for your thoughts. Uh, very informative. Very um, interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming okay, on to salam. the show. Salam alaikum. Salam uh, right, uh, Daniel. Uh, we have to move on now. Uh, yes. It's uh, your slot now. You're on the in the hot seat. Ask the, the Imam. <laughs> ask the Imam is the uh, is the uh, is the section or the segment that we're now going to be covering, um, and we want to look at, uh, um, I suppose, analyze language that is used in the Holy Quran, and particularly how God refers. To himself, why does Allah the Almighty use different pronouns for himself, uh, like I, we, and he? So, we have certain references um, in uh, chapter 15, verse 10, for example, we read, Verily, we ourselves have sent down this exhortation, and most surely we will be its guardian. Uh, and then in chapter 2, verse 30, uh, we read, He it is who created for you all that is in the earth. Then he turned towards the heavens. So that's an example of uh, the use of he as a pronoun. And then uh, uh, the singular one is uh, it's found in chapter 28, verse 31. O Moses, verily, I am, I am Allah, the Lord of the world. So why the, the differences? The differences, uh, it's a very nuanced and subtle difference, but the fact is that uh, the differences have actually caused... Um, Orientalists, especially historically, um, to raise this allegation against Islam that um, the different pronouns actually prove, in their opinion, that the Prophet Muhammad's peace and blessings of Allah be upon him uh, wrote the Quran himself, and he was confused because sometimes he'd say I, sometimes he'd say we, sometimes he'd say he. So he essentially made himself uh, the Prophet, Angel Gabriel, and God. He in one person, he made himself that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their allegation. God forbid, obviously, that's not uh, true. It's, it just proves their um, lack of understanding of the Arabic language um, and just general uh, uh, sentence structures uh, in a way anyway. Because the fact is that God Almighty uses all three of these. So there's the first person, um, singular, first person, plural, and um, the third person, singular, right? He is the third per- person, hmm. um, singular. Each one is used for different um, for different meanings, different interpretations. And various commentators have given uh, different explanations of this, but generally what is accepted is that God Almighty uses I, um, mm. so that's the singular uh, first person, right? Um, he uses that uh, to give a general command, right? Um, and that's in, just in a general sense. Whereas he uses we, that's the um, first person plural, in uh, to manifest his majesty, right? Or usually to um, give an example of uh, punishment, right? Um, that we will um, punish you. You know, he, he uses it as, it, it just gives a sense of grandeur and majesty when you're using a plural form, mm-hmm. right? And that collectiveness has more power to it than the singularness, right? Um, and the fact is that the he, right, the singular form in the third person, uh, comes to express the attributes of Allah, um, right? That refers to his attributes. So as we have in this verse, we also have many other verses. All of these are um, he, where it's using he. He is the uh, 
a creator. He is a beginner of life. He um, is the one who gives image, right? It, it refers to he, and all of these are literally his attributes being used, right? Um, and the fact is that when Allah the Almighty uses the singular, the singular forms for himself, um, especially I, um, it it expresses his attribute of Tawheed, oneness. And that's a huge, huge theme of Islam, the monotheistic hmm. um, core, the crux of Islam, that there is one God, there's no God but God, right? Hmm. And that's why I is obviously used to show that there is only him. And then again, uh, the promised Messiah actually himself um, states that when God Almighty speaks as a singular entity, it is very endearing and words of love and the singular form is uttered at the station of love. The plural form appears in a majestic tone where a punishment needs to be administered. Right? So I is used in a form of love. So as we have, oh Moses, verily I am, I am Allah, the Lord of the world. So it's more personal. It's more personal. It's more personal. Like, like if you're very close to somebody, yes, you'd want to be you know, uh, referred to individually. Exactly. Yes. Right? It's more relatable, it's yes. more personal, it's, it comes from a place of love. As the Prophet okay. says, yeah. it comes from a place yeah. of love. But then um, when you want to tell someone that uh, we're going to punish you, mm. right, you want to use yes. the plural because yeah. it has a lot more majesty mm. with it and it just has a lot more oomph to it. No, no, that <laughs> no, certainly makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it, it, that's how it is actually. Uh, if we look at another example, um, actually the, the second caliph of the Amli Muslim community, um, the son of the founder, he said that some Sufis have written that for tasks Allah the Exalted performs through the agency of angels, he employs the plural form. However, he uses a singular form for acts executed solely by divine command. So when angels are involved in his command, then maybe he will use we, right? Mm -hmm. But when it is something directly with him, uh, to do with God Almighty, directly with him and his prophet or people, then he would use I. So the diverse pronouns that Allah the Exalted has employed for himself, in singular, plural, and in third person, are intended to manifest various distinct attributes of mm -hmm. Allah the Exalted, the power and the might of okay. Allah the Exalted, essentially. Um, there's this question that's come up um, about uh, the Trinity. I mean, is this also something that uh, can be confused uh, with uh, accepting the Trinity in Islam? When we is used, is that what God is really saying? See, on the surface, for an onlooker, it might seem um, like that for a for a moment because it seems like um, a numerous amount of gods are being referred to, right? Um, but closer study reveals that again, this joins in um, with the whole uh, topic that we have been discussing with the with the majesty being in the plural mm. sense. But if you look at it, even Christians themselves, right, when they are uh, you know, you need to look at the, the intricacies of language when, when they are uh, in their Bible or in their um, church uh, uh, vocabulary, when they are referring to God, in even in a singular form, they don't say you, they say thou, right? Mm. Um, so that also um, connotates a bit of a, you know, a majestic or more of a plural type of, or, or a larger than life type of mm. thing, right? Thou would be singular, that, thee, would, thee would be... Yeah, yeah, it would be singular, okay. but it just gives a more of a, you know, you is completely personal. Right. Thou is like okay. someone who's way above you, right? Yes. But okay. if you look at Hebrew, so remember Hebrew is the um, the language of the Torah, the original language of the Torah, mm -hmm. right? Um, even in Hebrew, so the word for God is Adon, right? But, uh, it, and that means Lord, right? Um, but Adonim is also used, which is the mm -hmm. plural form. 
for law, uh-huh. right? So, uh, in essence, these debates revolve around linguistic idioms, right? So, mm-hmm. if in Hebrew, they, for God, we use Adonis, or rather the Christians and the Jews use Adonis, and mm. that's plural, right? Mm. Um, and they are clearly referring to that one God, because they, the Hebrews, they believe in one singular God as well. The monothe- mm. It's a monotheistic creed, right? That just proves as well that you can use plural um, plural right. uh, pronouns for God Almighty, and that doesn't necessitate to God Almighty being more than one person. Mm. Right, I mean, this is the Ask the Imam uh, segment. So, uh, there's another query that has been uh, raised. It's uh, different to what we've been discussing. It's about uh, the uncle of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Uncle Hazrat Abu Talib. Now, uh, there is a dispute, I know, between the Shias and the, and the Sunnis on this. Uh, but what is, uh, the, what is our view? Uh, was, he, was he a polytheist or a Muslim? Right, that's interesting um, because... When looking at the early life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings will be upon him, we see that, first of all, um, even before he's born, his father passes away, Abdullah um, passes away. Uh, after he's born, at the age of six, his mother passes away, Amna, Hazrat Amna. Um, and then he is taken in by his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, for two years. But then at the age of eight, he passes away as well, right? And then, since then, he was essentially adopted by his uncle, his paternal uncle, Abu Talib, who was the brother of um, his father Abdullah, um, and now Abu Talib had looked over, looked after the Holy Prophet. He, this was also the father of Hazrat Ali. Abu, Abu Talib is the father of Hazrat Ali, so he had looked after the Holy Prophet for pretty much all of his life, from eight years old onwards, um, until the prophetic, the commencement of the prophetic mission, and even at the beginning of this mission, when mm-hmm. he was facing staunch opposition from the Meccans, from the pagans, from the polytheists. Um, uh, the Prophet was facing this. Um, Abu Talib had him under his protection. He would um, help him, he would protect him. Um, and despite the fact that the Prophet seemingly brought a new religion, despite the fact that the Prophet, um, peace be upon him, seemingly um, didn't revere the gods of the polytheists, he was still protecting the Prophet, right? So that goes to show that he had, he, he might have been uh, not entirely a, a complete polytheist in the truest sense. But he wasn't clearly a Muslim or a monotheist either, right? Um, now, his specific case is such that the reason peop- this question uh, comes up, whether he was a polytheist or not, is because there's a hadith, there's a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, which mentions that um, I can see that the hellfire is up to the ankles of Abu Talib and it's causing his brain to boil, right? And because of that, it seems like, okay, this proves that he was a polytheist and that's why he went to hell, right? But again, you have to look at the whole um, series of events in history. Uh, when, for example, verses were, verses of the Holy Quran were revealed where the gods of the polytheists weren't um, uh, given such great respect or they were um, essentially, you know, downgraded um, uh, in the eyes of God and, you know, um, the Muslims the polytheists of Mecca sent Abu Talib to the Holy Prophet and said, that, tell him to, you know, he needs to really watch his mouth now because he's getting under our skin, you mm-hmm. know, and we, we will react to it. Mm. When, he, when he went with this um, message, he said, look, you know, I can only protect you so much. Um, you know, you, you should be careful with what you're saying. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was so con- convinced with his divine mission and the verses being revealed to him, his, the re- revelation, 
that he said that you know it really doesn't make a difference whether you uh, keep me under your protection or not because this is what God Almighty is revealing to they me. They were threatening to give Abu Talib up, wouldn't they? They were to, yeah to uh, to discredit him. To, to discredit yeah, him exactly yeah, so, yeah. right, and Abu Talib was so he was obviously concerned for his own mm, welfare mm, as well mm, naturally mm, right he also mm, had a family to feed mm. and he also had a certain love for his tribe right um, now the fact is that you know he when he heard the conviction of the holy prophet he said okay you know what no matter what happens to me i'll mm. i'll be by your side and that was true that's how it happened um there's a period of almost a year or two years where the muslims were um, essentially besieged uh, within an area called shebe abi talib uh, where they were deprived of food and water um, you know, and of just general commerce. So, you know, it was a t- time of very, very uh, much adversity. Um, but, you know, Abu Talib was with him during this okay, time as he well. He suffered with him. He suffered with him, right? Okay. Despite, he he was not a Muslim. That's the, you mm-hmm. know, that's the most important point. He was not a Muslim, but he suffered with him. Now, let's go, let's fast forward all the way to where he is about to pass away, right? Mm. Um, and the Holy Prophet, he was so concerned for his uncle. He wanted his uncle to enter um, paradise naturally so you know he'd be sitting to his left side sometimes to his right side and he'd just be around him and constantly mm. asking him please just say the shahada just say mm. la ilaha illallah that there is no god but god mm. so that I can testify for you on the day of judgment mm. um, that you are a believer and Abu Talib he just you know he he at first he was just quiet and he wouldn't say anything but then upon the great insistence of the prophet eventually Abu Talib said you know um, I don't for one for starters I don't want to leave the uh, religion of my forefathers and um, secondly I also don't want to be entering this new religion on my deathbed so that it seems that I did it out of fear or out of you know it wasn't out of sincerity mm-hmm. right and the prophet accepted this um, argument presented by Abu Talib mm-hmm. um, now the the point as to whether he we can definitively um, call him a polytheist or not goes all the way back to um, the prophet Abraham um, peace be upon him in the Quran where it's mentioned that he would pray for his father right despite his father being a polytheist a known polytheist right um, but what was the difference the difference was that a prophet Abraham was praying for his father right um, so during the lifetime it's clear that you can pray for polytheists but what kind of polytheist the type of, of polytheist who isn't a staunch enemy of God because the next verse says that uh, when Tabayana when it became clear um, that he was a staunch polytheist when he it became clear that he was an enemy of God and he, um, you know, he openly defied and was an opponent of God Almighty and His Messenger. Um, only then was Abraham told to stop praying for him, mm-hmm. right? So Abraham fulfilled his vow where he said that he would pray for his father up until a point where he became a staunch and an, a definitive polytheist. Mm. Abu Talib was never a definitive polytheist. Right, he never openly defied the one true God. He never openly went against the one true God. Um, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he he um, writes his own experience with regards to this, where he says that um, there are many Hindus. He he refers to the Prophet Sahih, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, where he says that there were many Hindus of the time who used to. Hinduism is obviously a polytheistic religion, but there were Hindus who used to go to the promised Messiah and ask him to pray to God for them, right? Yes, yes. Um, and the promised Messiah would pray to them. Mm. Right? Lal was one. Yeah. Exactly. Lala Shadampat, Lala Malavalmal, all of these, right? Yeah. Um, and then... They, they're still not believing. They, they still, still not believe him. Him. Exactly. Yeah. They still, yeah. But they do accept that. His prayers yeah. do accept. Mm. And the fourth cal- uh, Khalifa, he, um, Khalifa, uh, the fourth Caliph, he mm. himself also testified that he gets letters from Hindus in India 
um, writing, saying to him uh, that, look, we've seen you on television and we see that we can tell that you are someone with a connection to God and that your prayers are likely to be accepted. So we would like you to pray for this thing or that thing, right? So he said, and I do pray for them because the fact is that they accept that I am praying to a God, to they, mm, to the mm, God, right? Mm, mm. Um, so they are not staunch, open enemies of the one true God. Right. Once someone is, then yes, he's an absolute and definitive polytheist who you shouldn't pray for. And okay. that is why Abu Talib would be in hell, um, but the fire would only go up to his ankles. Imagine okay. that, right? right? Only up to his ankles because what is hell in the Islamic concept mm-hmm. of theology? It is a hospital right. which um, treats reforms. injuries. It reforms. Okay. So a, a definitive theolo- uh, uh, polytheist would go to the hospital of hell for major injuries, but someone like Abu Talib would go to hospital for a minor injury, mm, right? Mm. And once he has been reformed, he'd go to heaven. Great. Um, I'm sure we could have uh, talked on this uh, for much longer, but the 11 o'clock news beckons. We'll be straight after. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Welcome back to our listeners. And thank you to Waleed and to Daniel for sitting in with me and co-hosting, doing a wonderful job. I hope uh, the listeners were enjoying listening to their interactions and to the subject matters that they were discussing, are highly important ones. Um, Walid, uh, we've been talking about the Middle East, which has been uh, quite horrific, um, what's going on. Um, We're going to play a short verse of the Holy Quran uh, to introduce our next segment of the show. مَا خَلَقْنَاهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ إِنَّ يَوْمَ الْفَصْلِ مِيقَاتُهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Allah says in the Holy Quran, chapter 44, verses 40 to 41, We created them not but with requirements of truth and justice. But most of them understand not. Verily, the day of decision is appointed. Uh, sorry, is the appointed time for all of them. Uh, a stark warning from Allah Almighty that uh, justice has to prevail, and uh, in our carrying out of our duties, truth and justice has to take uh, precedence. You started the program this morning with uh, the quotation to release up about yeah. the truth that the first victim yes. of. Uh, of a war is the truth mm. and a lot of uh, what goes on in wars is a biased opinion of people and sometimes damn right lies mm. Uh, mm. as as we been listening to many yes. uh, over the weeks yeah. uh, from not just one party but from mm. others as well so mm. a lot of that goes on and social mm. media is an evil in that regard mm. but uh, a lot of lies and you highlighted some of that with Dr. Fareed about uh, the Al-Shifa hospital mm. So we're going to concentrate on that a little bit. Um, this is what the BBC uh, said uh, yesterday. Hundreds of uh, hundreds leave Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital as many feared killed at UN shelter. Mm. What, what did they say? Hundreds of people, including some patients, left Gaza City's main hospital, Al-Shifa, on uh, Saturday. Some medical staff said they had been told to leave but Israel disputes this. Uh, many were seen walking along rubble-strewn uh, streets as gunfire rang out. Separately, Hamas health officials said two explosions in J- uh, Jabalia in northern Gaza together killed 80 people. 
Israel told the BBC it could not confirm it struck a UN school turned shelter but was investigating. Yes, BBC verifies, uh, uh, verifies, or BBC's verify has geolocated footage of the Al Fakura school in Jabalia that shows many people, including women and children, with severe injuries or lying motionless on the floor in different parts of the building. We're going to play a few clips uh, to highlight uh, the severity of what's going on. Today at Westminster, MPs were presented with the chance to vote in favour of the SNP's ceasefire amendment. This was a plea to put humanity before politics by endorsing a ceasefire. Too many parents have had to bury their children in Gaza. Too many children have become orphaned. Too many have suffered, and for far too long. A ceasefire would enable a humanitarian corridor and the crucial delivery of immediate aid to those in desperate need. I am beyond angry that Scottish Labour MPs and others refused to back the calls for an immediate ceasefire. They are on the wrong side of history, which is unforgivable. Over 4,500 innocent children have been killed in Gaza. The World Health Organization has reported a heart-wrenching statistic. A child has been killed every 10 minutes. Let that sink in. And now, there are haunting images of tiny, premature babies who've been removed from their incubators because the situation is so dire. That was the First Minister of Scotland, Hamza Youssef, highlighting the importance of a <coughs> ceasefire vote. Uh, now let's listen to the Lib Dem uh, MP, Leila Moran. She's Palestinian. Um, Christian, and this is what she had to say at the debate uh, this week. Point of order, Leila Moran. On a point of order, Mr Deputy Speaker, as you will know, this has been an extraordinarily difficult day for many members in this House, but for me, this is the most difficult day I've had to endure in my parliamentary career. We are now over a month on from the atrocious attacks by Hamas on October the 7th, and we were all right to utterly condemn those attacks. But ahead of the votes that we are going to take in a moment, I wanted to let the House know that today I lost my first family member. And the reason why this is important, having spoken about how they are in a church in Gaza City, and how they didn't, I'm afraid, die of a bomb. Instead, they died perhaps for lack of food, perhaps for dehydration. Their health deteriorated in the last week and they couldn't get to the hospital they needed. And uh, a clip about the marches that have been taking place, uh, various universities. Uh, here's a short uh, montage of uh, some of the voices. I cannot stand there and just watch a genocide happen. So, so you wanted to come out and make your voice Yeah, definitely. And this is about the innocent of people that are dying. I understand that there are people dying on both sides and that is, this is why we're here as well. We don't want any people dying. We want a ceasefire now. 
This one in particular, if only Hitler could make a surprise Yeah, and that entrance. was a Holocaust survivor talk. I run the Instagram for Birmingham JSOC, mm -hmm. and we've had a lot of anti-Semitism. What was it like for you seeing all of these messages every day? Really distressing. I, waking up to it every day was yeah. not very... Pleasant. Not very pleasant yeah. at all, to say the least. Yeah. I actually had to go home from university for a bit because oh, really? it was all just becoming too much. A lot of Jewish students have told us that they feel physically unsafe on campus, that it's no longer a, a welcoming place. They're in a difficult moment. They, they feel upset. Um, they don't feel as if the community or the campus is particularly safe for them. Our Muslim students say and feel the same things. It's to Jewish students, but face criticism for failing to make specific reference to protecting Muslim students. For each rose, it represents a person who was killed in Palestine. Safia from Leeds University's Palestinian Solidarity Group says there's been a rise in Islamophobia. So you've been called a terrorist, people have been saying that about you. It's, it's Islamophobia, I think just general racism. Um, we, like, we've seen in, in Instagram posts under things about our university telling Arab students to be deported back to where they came from. Three very important clips there, Valid, uh, about how the war has impact on different peoples in different ways and, and, and communities, as the last clip from the university students, from the Jewish students, from the Palestinian Muslim, sorry, Muslim uh, students as well, and, and, and they've witnessed this in the streets. And it's, it's the sad part of what war does, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, joining us for this segment of the show, Ali, there's a journalist and a broadcaster who writes freelance for WordPress. Delighted to have Sarah Linney join us for the show. Uh, good morning, Sarah. Peace be upon you. Good morning, salam alaikum, and peace be upon you all. Thank you very much. Wa alaikum salam. Very kind of you uh, to use the Muslim uh, greeting, and uh, I hope you are well. Uh, amidst all the difficulties of what is happening in the Middle East and the impact it's having, you listen to the clips from those two MPs who have seen dire the state of affairs of what is happening and hearing about their families, the hostages taken by Hamas is heart-wrenching as well. What are your thoughts of what happened and the loss of the loved ones from Israeli families and what is happening in retaliation by Israel with thousands murdered in Gaza as well? I think, um, or I think almost everybody would agree that this is one of the worst things we've seen in our lifetimes it's I, f I found those clips hard to listen to mm. the statistic about a child being killed every 10 minutes made me feel a bit tearful yeah i think that it's it's i think i was talking about this with my workmates this morning because they knew i was coming on and as one one of the men that i work with pointed out we're so we're so privileged to live in a country where we don't have to face this sort of thing, it's it's almost impossible to comprehend, and it's it feels it feels very hard to know what the solution can be, and it's hard. It feels to me, it feels difficult to understand why everybody involved isn't doing absolutely everything they can and working at breakneck speed to find peace because both sides are losing their children both sides mm. are enduring the, the worst things that humanity can do uh, it's 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 unconscionable to me that 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 this every day that this is continuing is just horrendous 
and I think everybody agrees on that. I think you're right, and 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 it wouldn't be a sane person who didn't have the empathy of seeing those children of hostages being taken, uh, who have nothing to do with the war, but are just there uh, for the taking and and the retaliation that's taking place uh, in return is more gruesome uh, than the initial attacks as well. I mean, you you mentioned about we are so lucky that we we don't go through that, we don't have to suffer that. But our ancestors did during the Second World War. And one of the things uh, that we learned from the Second World War was the Holocaust that took place on the Jewish people. And we are taught this in our schools, aren't we, about this, uh, about the Holocaust. And I presume the reason we are taught this is that hopefully it would never happen again. And yet the next generation of our elders, you, me, as you just pointed out, seeing it on TV, uh, listening to the, what's happening, it has been devastating. So have we, are we not learning? Uh, have we failed our elders who, who fought and wanted this never to happen again? Well, I don't want to come on and sound terribly cynical, but it <laughs> does, no, but it does yeah, really yeah. shake your faith in humanity, doesn't it? It does. Um, and, it, and it also, and this probably isn't, but, but I, I expect that I'm not the only person who feels like this, shakes my religious faith because I think, where, where is God? Where is Allah? How can he, how can he, how, how can he, there must be, I feel like there must, there must be something he can do. How can he be letting this happen? It just, it, it's beyond comprehension. Mm. And yeah, as you say, you, 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 we, we learn about the Holocaust and it's so terrible, it's so terrible. And you think, well, everybody must understand that this can't ever happen again. Everybody must know how awful it is. And yet, here we are, killing each other, slaughtering each other. Over what? Over what? Over some land? Over some differences in religion? Over who, you know, who, who hit who first? You know, why, why is this happening? Why can't this be resolved? It, it, honestly, it's, it's just devastating to watch and to feel so powerless. And do you feel let down by our politicians <clears throat> who, rather than beat the drums of peace, are really beating the drums of war? They, they, you know, they just voted uh, for a no ceasefire, meaning they want the continuation. That's the, that's the only logic, isn't it? They want the continuation of the killings? Um. Yes, I am very disappointed. I thought that the vote should have been in favour of a ceasefire, and I can't see that there are two sides to that, except, um, and this isn't my view, mm. but I think it is a valid point, that Israel feels that it is in danger from Hamas, whose stated aim is to eradicate all Jews, or I think they have removed that from their official description, but we all know that that is still the case, um, and all Christians, and it, it, the argument is that if Israel doesn't wipe out Hamas, there will be more attacks like October the 7th. It isn't my, I would argue that targeting civilians is not furthering the aim of eradicating Hamas. Half of Hamas's leaders don't even live in Palestine. Mm. They've kind of gone off to Turkey and, and 
other places Qatar where they can... and places like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, you, if you're, I, I don't really see how killing a baby in Gaza mm. is helping to get rid of Hamas. And I think that, I mean, it's 20 years since Hamas were elected. It's not as if they have any sort of reasonable mandate from the Palestinian people. Mm. So no, in short. Yes, I feel I feel that that vote should absolutely have gone in favour of a ceasefire. You can't. This is going to sound very trite. You cannot stop killing while you continue to kill. If you want to stop the killing, you have to stop the killing. Well, the whole that, that's so obvious, but yeah. it's the truth. Yeah, no, you're right, absolutely right. And what I was go- what I was thinking was that uh, the purpose of the ceasefire would be uh, to bring um, a sea. Uh, a seizure to the killing, at least for for the time being. Take a bit, bit of a breath, and see if we can negotiate uh, with part. Because at the end of the day, you you can't just fight the enemy. You sometimes have to make peace with them, mm. and to see if you can bring Hamas on the table and see what 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 what's what's causing them to continue this because we want this to stop but remember history didn't start on the 17th of on the 7th of october it's been going on for decades and 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 although the attack by hamas was horrific and 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 no one can ever defend what was done but what is swaying the many nations the public particularly is the retaliation which seems to even more horrific because 12000 deaths 60% you know civilian deaths of which 5000 were children i mean where has humanity gone is what you're asking aren't you well quite um i think i think that for for self defense to be proportionate to be considered proportionate under international law i think there are there are various arguments that you can use to to justify it and if you look at the simple question of who has killed more civilians in this recent bout of aggression, as you say, many more Palestinians have died um, than than even in those horrendous attacks, which were in themselves mm. had a you know had a massive death toll. Um, but then there is the argument that if they, if Israel's aim is to eradicate its enemy, then it's more easier to argue that that is proportionate. But I mean, I feel like we can go round and round in these circles. Is this justified? Is this not justified? Who, you know, who started it? It, it? it doesn't really matter. It's not getting us anywhere. It's not trying to establish who, who, is, who is right in all of this, who is the victim. It just it, it isn't getting us anywhere. It just has to stop. Indeed. I've got uh, Danielle, a young imam from our community, who wants to ask a question. Uh, Danielle? Yeah, so Louise, uh, so, sorry, Sarah, my, my apologies. Um, I don't know where Louise came from, but Sarah, um, firstly, just a comment on one of the points you made, and then I have a question um, to you as well. So the comment was with regards to you saying that it shakes up your faith in humanity, it shakes up your faith in God and religion. As an imam, obviously, I feel like I have to chime in, and I have to say that for me personally, um, I find strength in the fact that the Palestinians on the ground, um, they show such um, strength in their faith, be it Christians or Muslims, right? Um, whatever mm. their religion is, that even in this difficult time, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there's a video that went around on social media of this um, young man who lost his brother and due to a bombing. And, you know, he just walked away with a smile and said, you know, we, he was quoting verses from the Quran and saying we belong to 
God and to God we shall return. Um, and God is, is enough and sufficient for us. He's uh, blessed to be a martyr. So he just showed extreme conviction, like extreme strength in that really, really testing time. And that kind of, you know, gives me some strength as well in my in my faith that if they can, um, you know, push through it and carry on holding on to their beliefs um, so strongly, then, uh, you know, that, that gives me power as well. Um, but I have a question for you because this whole situation clearly is so draining, right? It's so exhausting. Uh, mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, in every sense for us, we're ordinary folk. But you, um, as a um, as a journalist, is is part of your profession. So, do you have do you have a switch off button? Is there a time in the day where you just put your phone away and say, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore? Because we're only following this on our phones on social media when we're you know um, sitting free, not whilst we're working. But you are working and seeing this, and in your free time, you're seeing this presumably on your phone as well. Is there a time where you just switch off and say, no, you know, I can't look at this anymore. I, I just need some time to myself. Um, well, first of all, just thank you for what you said there, because that's actually, that's actually really helpful to, 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 and I'm going to try to do that to take inspiration from, as you say, the Palestinian strength and no doubt the Jew strength as well in Israel, they must be having their faith tested and they must also be showing equal strength and faith and conviction that's that's really lovely what you've said and i'm going to try and be inspired by that to keep my faith in god and humanity strong you're inspiring us with your words anyway sarah don't you worry exactly <laughs> thank you um to answer your question well i mean i haven't i haven't written about this conflict so it hasn't been part of my writing um, I have quite a low tolerance for, for sort of violence, children being harmed. I, I've, it's, it's very, my, my limit for taking it on board is quite low. So I have tried to just, I, I've tried to watch, you know, not watch as little of it as possible or spare myself the details, which is also a very privileged attitude to have. And I've, Part of me feels like I don't have the right to do that because they're the, they're the people going through it. The least I can do is try to not shield my... Uh, you know, they can't turn away from what they're going through. So how do I have the right to turn away from it? But um, it's difficult to walk that line between... Uh, I'm aware of what... I kind of feel like I'm aware of what's happening. I don't need necessarily to know all the horrific details hmm. i know that a child dying is awful i don't need to see a picture of it i don't need that's i, I already know how bad that is but mm. it i think it's very difficult for for all of us yeah. whatever profession we're in but, to, but to watch this but sometimes we have to suffer, go through that suffering to get the humanity out of us don't we uh, I, I, I'm assuming, uh, and I could be wrong, you said Salam Alaikum to me, I know. I think you're a Christian by faith, am I right? Yes. Yes, yes. I, th I thought so, yeah. I, in case some of our listeners got confused uh, because you said Salam Alaikum and then you said my faith leads me to that in case people were thinking you were a Muslim who was saying this. But you are surely speaking from a Christian point of view. Um, I've got uh, Valid, my, my other co-host, who is eager to ask a question, Sarah. Yes, good morning, Sarah. Um, I, um, as a journalist, I, I would think that you would look um, at uh, events that are taking place in greater depth. So on that basis, do you think, uh, and looking at the reaction of the IDF, do you think it is not one of defense, but one of punishment and vengeance against the Palestinian people? 
and that the real intention of their action is to ethnically cleanse the Gaza Strip. Um, I crikey, that's that's quite a question. <laughs> that's, um, that's a loaded that's, question. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> he does this to me all the time. It's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm answer, say, answer it in whichever way you you wish to answer. I'm going to say first of all that I I don't know what anybody else's intentions are. I think that both. I think that they're. I think that both sides in this have at times been both victim and victimizer. I think that both this this goes back so far and there have been you know neither side has I, I this isn't a view that everybody likes but I personally feel that this has gone on so long and involved mm. so much so many um, atrocities on both sides that neither side can at this point hold them all high ground. Um, I don't. I don't actually think that that is what Israel wants. Israel has. Israel is a Jewish state surrounded by Muslim nations, and it's managed to forge positive relations with a lot of the Muslim states surrounding it. I think that it's probably more fear of Hamas, but then I also understand that the Palestinians feel that they have not been properly treated by Israel over the decades. I think I don't really want to get drawn into saying this side is in the wrong or that side is in the wrong or mm. they want this or they want that because I, I want to believe that there is a solution to this, that it, this isn't fueled by evil on both sides. I, I don't think that's the case. I want to believe, and I do believe, that that there are solutions that both sides have humanity that we need to appeal to and engage so that we can work towards a peaceful solution. And I think that part of the problem is that both sides are very entrenched and their supporters are very entrenched and people pick a, people are on either one side or the other and they find it difficult to to see the, the, the other person's point of view, and I think that's never going to lead us to peace. You can't solve this unless you see your enemy, and I put enemy in inverted commas, because these people shouldn't, Muslims and Jews should never be enemies. They have so much in common. You have to see your enemy in inverted commas as a human being with a legitimate point of view. D you have to accept that I was gonna both say, sides despite, have to give ground. They have to, and, and despite the fact that both religions actually teach that not to, not to have enemies mm. like that. But Lee, mm. I think you wanted to come up. No, no, but well, to put it simply, you've had, uh, in the case, in this particular instance, you've had 1,200 people uh, being, uh, being killed. And the response is to kill 5,000 children of the other side. Do you think that response is a response of defense of punishment and vengeance. That's basically what I'm asking. Well, uh, can I follow up with a, a follow-up question, Sarah, just to help you along? Is that uh, when the Hamas attack took place, um, I know, I know the, the world calls Hamas a terrorist organization, but we've got to remember that the United Nations rejected that. Uh, only some nations, including Britain and America, were the ones who called them uh, terrorists. Mm. Many countries refused to, to do that because 
this particular attack could be classified as a terrorist attack. But uh, generally, Hamas came out of the subjugation of the Palestinian mm. people and it's a resistance force. Remember the ANC, Nelson Mandela were called terrorists mm. in their days, but the world later turned and, mm. and Britain and the Americas were wrong in calling them terrorists. But uh, in, 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 the, in the empathy of the, of the Jewish people on the attacks on the 7th of October, what Israel did, which is what, what Walid was trying to say, uh, is has changed that empathy towards having empathy for the Jewish people to now to the Palestinian people. So it's sort of weakened the empathy of the Jewish people, rightly or wrongly. But I think, is that what these marches were about? Is the empathy has grown for the Palestinians because of this great amount of deaths that Israel has imposed on the Palestinians? I think that people have various reasons for going on the marches. Um, I, I'm, I hope that the majority of people marching are just marching because they want peace. But there have also been some very, very hateful messages on those marches which have made Jews in this country feel unsafe to go out. That, that's unacceptable. That should never be happening in this day and age. Um, I, I think that even if you look at the way we, we talk about this, mm. we talk, people want to say that, you know, you've got people who will say, well, Israel, perhaps Israel is justified because those attacks were so atrocious. Perhaps they feel they need to defend themselves and they need to get rid of Hamas, and so anything they can do is proportionate. And then the other side comes back and says, well, Hamas itself is a response to what we feel is um, the oppression of the Palestinian people by the Israeli state and it goes back and back and back and back and back and it's both sides feel that they have a very legitimate grievance against the other mm. they uh, need, I think that uh, people need to stop thinking like that yeah. and instead think okay how can we wipe the slate clean how can we resolve this how can we Muslims and Jews how can we live side by side peacefully with our brothers in faith. Those sentiments I, I share wholeheartedly with you. But I, you know, I attended uh, some of the marches and uh, I walked with Jews on those exactly. marches, right? And uh, there were Jews who supported what uh, was uh, the, the peace march because there were peace marches. Honestly, uh, my daughters have been on three or four marches. I've been to a couple. And on not on one occasion did I see hatred for anyone. Um, even the cry for uh, river to the sea, uh, Palestine will be free. I, I shouted that slogan uh, with that meaning uh, was not about this because there's no mention of Jews or Israelis here. It is that the Palestinians between the river and the sea should have the same freedom as the Israelis, as the, as the Jews. That was the cry is, and that's what people... I think it's been twisted sometimes. And I had a rabbi with, with us on the show last week, uh, last show, and I asked him, has he got any anecdotal uh, examples personally or from any one of his parishioners who have suffered any um, anti-Semitic uh, attacks, verbally or otherwise? And he said none. Uh, but you know there are others who have felt it, and you're absolutely right. No one should be in a position to feel scared 
But I don't think there's there, there are, there's always going to be some idiots on there, uh, some extremist here or there, and and they should be dealt with by the police. But the majority of the people are peace marchers, and majority of the people in Britain respect the the uh, the Jews of, of of Britain and will not say anything to them. I engage with them very regularly. Your thoughts? I know. I think that's true. I think most people do want peace. Most people don't have any grudge against people of a different faith. All I'm saying is that even one person expressing those sentiments yeah. is too many. Nobody nobody in in any country in 2023 should be feeling threatened because of their faith. No Christian, no Muslim, no yeah. Jew, nobody. And I'm not sure mm. that everybody who... I think people have been... Some people have been rather quick to take sides in the debate and they simply adopt the side of their social group or yeah. their political group Indeed. without really having uh, even the base, a basic understanding of the issues in question. And the thing is that the more I look into this and the more I look into the history of it, the more complex I find it becomes until my head is starting to spin. So, it, and the more I read about it, I think, well, how, how can... How can anybody see this as clear cut? Mm. And I don't think that presenting it as a clear cut issue, I'm not probably not really answering your point. No, no, no. Um, but you're airing a, a very good point there. Um, because of time, Sarah. Sorry, we got, we, we're going to be running out of time here. Oh, uh, that's okay. Yeah, no. But thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, your your concerns, your humanity. I think that's the most important thing that's come out from talking to you today. Um, and like you, we all want peace on, on earth and we all want to live together. You, you were talking about Jews and Muslims should be loving each other. You know, mm. historically, uh, Muslims and Jews have lived together. And in fact, the Jews have had protection from the Muslims more than anywhere else. The most of the persecution has come from the, the West and, 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 and the Christian world, uh, if you don't mind me saying that. No, I don't. Um, I think it's rather obvious that the West has yeah. the West intervention in this already fraught situation decades ago made a bad situation dramatically worse. Indeed, everything would have been better if we could just left well alone. Absolutely. In fact, when uh, the, the the Islamic Empire was uh, attacked by uh, Ferdinand and uh, Isabella, the, uh, the king and queen of uh, Spain, uh, and they, they kicked the Moors out. The Jews left with them because they felt safer with the Muslims than they felt. They thought they would have uh, felt because they were being persecuted by Isabella and Ferdinand as well. So historically, the two nations have lived together since the creation of Israel. It's created the tensions. Never before had there been tensions, and we should all pray that uh, may uh, God Almighty bring about peace and tolerance to all these communities, so that both both people can live in peace. Remember the Palestinians have a very large community of Christians as well. Yes, yes, they, they do indeed. And what? thank you for, again for what you said there, because that does give me hope that we can return to those days when Muslims and Jews were, you know, better friends, protecting mm. each other, and there wasn't, we weren't seeing horrors like we're seeing in the Middle East. If we've been there before, we can, we can go back there. Very, very good to hear. Indeed, we're all trying to do that. Uh, in fact, only uh, last set Sunday, uh, under the title of Voices of Peace. We held a prayer event here at the Bethel Fatou Mosque. We had Jewish rabbis and Jewish community also attend 
as well as the local public uh, and other faith leaders as well a multicultural multi-faith prayer event and this is the sort of thing that we need to keep doing in order to enhance the quality of life and brotherhood in britain oh that's wonderful yes we um the nazir mosque in gillingham as i'm sure you know yes. um had a, had a similar event last Friday. We had an, and I went to it. Oh, we had a, a Jewish lady um, yeah. addressed us. We had um, a, a vicar address us, and then we had readings from the Bible. Mm. And it it was very much we are all standing together in this. Muslims, Jews, Christians, we all want peace. Is isn't it a pity that the press very rarely report these things, the positive things that are happening? I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I, know I, think I would say they perhaps while they have their hands full at the moment. But Indeed. yes, I do feel that that there there is often a focus on on the negative yeah. and yeah. on the divisions and the differences. When, as we've said before, we we have so much more in common. Mm. Uh, Sarah, thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you and uh, uh, sharing the vibe of your empathy and your love and and your uh, hope as well. I hope. That at least we've we've tried to bring a little bit of hope to you as well. You have, and thank Indeed. you so much. No, no, thank you. Right, we'll leave the yeah. interesting chat, and I think uh, this is the human side of things I want you to bring that sometimes we're not talking about, and Sarah did that very well as well. Mm. Uh, right, we, uh, the next segment, uh, we're going to continue on this theme um, and uh, talk about the marches as well in particular. Um the Al Jazeera reported that uh, Breverman, this is Swella Breverman, when she was Home Secretary, slammed after calling UK pro-Palestinian protesters hate marches. What else did Al Jazeera say? It says that Swella Breverman, the uh, British Home Secretary, as she was then, has faced criticism after describing pro-Palestinian protesters as hate marches yep. and accusing police of double standards. Uh, London has witnessed massive weekend demonstrations over the past month with tens of thousands of people taking to the streets to denounce Israel's uh, relentless bombing campaign in the Gaza Strip and demand the UK government uh, call for a ceasefire. Uh, the BBC also reported something. Uh, Daniel, what did they say? Yes, so they reported that Suela Braverman has been sacked as Home Secretary after she defied Number 10 over an article accusing the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Police of bias in the policing of protests. This is the second time Mrs. Braverman has been removed as Home Secretary. Yes, let's play a little clip of uh, some marches we played earlier. I cannot stand there and just... Oh, sorry, it's the wrong one. Sorry, there's a, a, another clip here. Only in order to get a meeting with the Prime Minister. Among the crowd, Shelly Shemtov, whose 21-year-old son, Omer, was taken by Hamas at the music festival near Gaza that day. It's 43 days of nightmare. We don't sleep, we don't eat. I don't know what about my son, if he's uh, eating, if they are giving him food, if they are beating him, I don't know nothing. It's nightmare. Is this helping, coming here, marching here? Very much. It's, it's, it's a power. I, I don't know if you, you, you see all the people. They are giving us power. They were here with a message for the Israeli government. Moran Mina, whose grandmother is being held, says it should have only one mission in Gaza. 
the message is that there will be no victory. We already lost. We have 240 people in Gaza. We need to bring them all back. And this is our victory. In a moment of haunting poignancy, they release balloons, one for every hostage missing. Uh, that was uh, the families of the hostages who are being let down, they say, by the government. Uh, and so they are holding several marches uh, in Israel, uh, wanting there more to be done about freeing the hostages rather than the attacks that are taking place. Joining us, Walid, is, uh, is an activist, anti-fascist historian who has worked for most of the major broadcasters in the UK. BBC included, and most of all, uh, she's a humanitarian. Dr. Louise Rowe has nearly 50,000 followers on X now, which is what used to be called Twitter, and very candid with her views, and always a pleasure and a privilege to have her on our show. Welcome uh, on our show again, Dr. Rowe. Peace be upon you. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great show this morning. I've been listening in. Oh, really? Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, very good. And it's only going to get better because we now have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure at all. Flattery gets you everywhere. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> I've been renowned for, for flattering people. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Louise, uh, your thoughts on the Breverman sacking and did she aggravate the marches by raising tensions and the influx of EDL last Saturday's march on Armistice Day? Mm, I'm just going to say yes <laughs> to that. Um, Suella, a stochastic Sue, I like to call her, because, right. you know, stochastic terrorism, when you when you don't do the terrorism yourself, ah, right. but you encourage through social media mm. other people to do so. Yep, stochastic Sue. Yes, and the Home Secretary calling an EDL march quite, mm. quite surprising. Yes. I think her language was astonishingly inflammatory calling them uh, calling the marches a desecration mm. of the cenotaph and of remembrance day despite the fact she knows at home she knew mm. as home secretary former home secretary pauses to laugh yeah. former home secretary she not knew that that march was going nowhere near the cenotaph oh, the really route good. of course agreed with the Met Police. The Met Police are not going to allow up to a million people just to stroll through London wherever they yeah, want to yeah, go. Yeah. Totally organised. She knows that. This is pure politicisation, pure weaponisation to say we've got to defend our senator. She knows what's going to happen. Mm. You know, you're going to get um, a bunch of uh, fascists turning up and as we all predicted beforehand, they're going to be drunk by 10am. They <laughs> were. And fighting the police. Well done, lads. Yeah. <laughs> and that was very <laughs> evident in the video clips. Uh, mm. also, also, I mean, uh, I, I believe you attended some of the marches, if mm. I'm not mistaken, as did I. And, yeah. uh, and I found the, uh, the marches exhilarating. I mm. found them extremely peaceful. I managed, I, I walked with so, several Jews on the march. Mm -hmm. A bunch of lovely ladies who held my hand and yeah. go, go, well, he's looking at me. Yeah, does your wife know? They, they, were, they were elderly Jewish <laughs> ladies who held my hand, not the young ones. That's your story. <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then when we got to the cenotaph mm. uh, on those marches, there was mm. a cordon, there were police there. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and a whole bunch of EDL people trying mm. to aggravate. And the yep. organizers of the march put a ring around the EDL to make mm. sure that none of the marches interacted with them and yep. none of the marches said, did anything in front of the Senate. I thought they were highly organized, 
and it, it was only the EDL that were there to create the trouble. What was yes. your experience of these marches? Would you describe them as hate marches? I think that's absolutely um, miraculous that you can have up to a million people marching on the 11th. And yes, I've done several marches. I've done local marches. I've done mm. um, ones in London as well. And, not ha and have so little trouble or aggravation. And the big march on the 11th, we have to say, it was barely policed. There yeah. were stretches where you Correct. could walk for ooh, 10 minutes and not even see a policeman. Mm. Other stretches where there were police vans at junctions, the police weren't even bothering to get out of their vans. They were, weren't even really stewarded. I've never seen a march be so peaceful mm. and so trouble-free with no control whatsoever. We policed, we stewarded ourselves. There were children, lots and lots of children, lots of babies, lots of families. You know, there were people with disabilities. It was not, you know, mm. there's no way this was a violent sort of riot. It was unbelievably peaceful. People from nearby houses all along the route, waving, cheering, you know, waving Palestinian flags. It was really beautiful. And I thought, I came up on the train with my local Palestine support group, which is probably the largest group on it. Might be Jewish people, actually, but certainly lots of Jewish people, lots of Muslim people. When we got onto the tube, which was packed um, to get to Bond Street, just so friendly. Normally on a packed London tube, it's not particularly friendly, is it, when you've got to shove yourself, <laughs> wedge yourself between people. But, you know, my Jewish friends, my Muslim yeah. friends, everyone's chatting to the people on the tube who are making space for us. We're chatting about our placards. We're just talking. There's so much love and friendship extended Absolutely, and I think that's something by, by the Muslim, by our Muslim brothers and sisters. Absolutely, and 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 what you just narrated is the experience that I had. In fact, mm. I actually walked past the uh, New Scotland Yard, and there was, mm. and there was a small group of policemen lined up, obviously mm. protecting the New Scotland Yard. And as mm. I walked past, I, I I spoke to a couple of them. I said, uh, uh, "Are you needed today? Because it's very peaceful, isn't it?" Mm. And, they, and they both said, "Yes, very peaceful." So even the police, so so the media. As much as they tried their best to make mm. out as if there were riots going on, yes, there were two few idiots here or there who might yeah. have said something or yeah. did something, and you're always going to get idiots. Oh, but how can you not? You uh, know, <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't be saying uh, it wouldn't be Britain if, if you didn't. Yeah. Like that. Um, <laughs> but see, yeah, certainly, I've got Walid here who's eager to ask a question or two. Yes. Yes, I want, Doctor. I wanted to know. Uh, I can see the benefit of uh, marches, particularly to the individuals who are taking part in that mm. they are, individuals are able to vent out their frustrations. But mm. do you think generally uh, on the widest uh, screen they are going to make any difference? Mm. Uh, are they going to change uh, government policy? Do they have That's any impact at all? That's the question, isn't it? Because, of course, we saw the huge Stop the War demonstrations um, going back to the right war, which didn't make a difference and didn't stop the war but i think what's quite surprising and heartening in this case is that not just the march but the exemplary behavior of people on the march and well mm. done everybody here was there has already changed things i mean sue's gone suella braverman has gone and yeah. that is largely because she staked her reputation such as it remained on the fact that we, if you like, you know, pro-Palestinian or whatever you want to call us, peace marches, ceasefire marches, were going to ruck with the past. 
And I don't know who advises her, because I could have told her exactly what the fascists were going to do, and that's exactly what they did, fight the police, get Charlie Constella mm. and fight the police. But she staked everything, didn't she, on the fact that we would cause trouble, there would be fights between the two sides. She would then, I don't know, oust Sunak or whatever she wanted to do or impose martial law or, or, you know, ban all demonstrations. She really wanted... (laughs) This was very important to her, wasn't it, that she could go all judge dread on us on the basis of this. She got it completely wrong. And because of the size of the march, because of the excellent behaviour of 99% of marchers, She's gone. Our girl's gone. And also, if you look at it, uh, the big marches in America, which is a real surprise. uh, And today we hear that Biden has really softened his his tune as well. So maybe these marches are making an impact on political thinking. Yes. And I'll tell you why I think they're so important. I've got American friends visiting at the moment, and they were Mm. telling me that the coverage they get on the news in America is all Israel's point of view. There is absolutely no surprise, right? There's very, very little. So it's only, so all we can do as people is get out on the streets and say, no, that is not the whole story. You have to, even in this, you know, social media age, getting out there on the streets, voting with your feet is still really important because as you say, it's only that that's softening the media's line, that's softening, um, world leaders lines the people it's extraordinary and i think it's really heartening that one line is overwhelmingly pushed by the entire establishment Mm. basically pretty much globally not entirely and uh politicians the media and the people are just going no i'm sorry we don't believe you and we're uniting across all faith groups and none and different political backgrounds and we are out there together Mm. you know really demonstrating to the to the distress of the government how well multiculturalism works as well and how well we can get on that's another point she got it totally wrong about multiculturalism Mm. isn't this breverman um what what do you say to those and the media sometimes tries to push this agenda um, Western media I'm talking about and Britain's particularly murder media that uh, those taking part in the Palestinian, pro-Palestinian marches are Jew haters what do you mm. say to that? It's awkward when so many of them are Jewish isn't it? <laughs> I mean we were jo- I was joking with my Jewish friends they were saying well I don't know which block we go to do we, are we on the self-hating Jewish block yeah, yeah. or the wrong sort of self-hating Jewish block I just don't know yeah. but so many there was a massive Jewish there was, block there was. on the 11th every single demonstration that I've been on mm. both local ones and national ones yeah. there have always been a, a high proportion of Jewish people very visibly saying holding placards saying this Jew wants a ceasefire I'm Jewish but I want a ceasefire so it's difficult to say that isn't it and also there were Muslim kids with little high-vis vests that they'd made on mm. the 11th saying we don't hate Jewish people Correct. that's right that's but, you know they well. really really wanted that to be known yeah. I didn't see any anti-semitism no. if I had I would have called it out. I would have been pulled by it. I yeah. haven't seen any. I can't say it's never happened. With that sheer amount of people, up to a million people, mm. it would be impossible, just the way that humans are, not to get one or two people who were probably saying very distasteful things. I personally was all over that march for seven hours or so, mm. up and down it. I didn't see or hear anything no. anti-Semitic. That's all I can say. I went down through the motivation of my daughters and mm. we had already decided that if there was any anti-Semitic remarks mm. being made, we would either call it out or we yeah. would 
leave the march. Yeah. And yeah. not once did we have to do that. However, there was a call uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will mm. be free. That mm -hmm. is now being termed by some as being anti-Semitic. Mm. Uh, when I call that, and I did, uh, mm. I had a, I, uh, at no time for me was I being anti-Semitic because it had nothing mm. to do with Jews, mm. it had nothing to do with Israel, it had to do with the freedom of the Palestinian people. And yeah. I believe even the Dutch court has uh, ruled that mm. it's not anti-Semitic. What are your thoughts on this slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free? Well, that's the bit they tend to miss out, that last bit, Palestine will be free, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Because it's calling, well, I mean, look, it's incredibly complex, isn't it? It's got complex roots. Mm. The way it's used gets weaponized. There's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of inference. And yeah, Andy McDonald suspended it. FIFA's banned it. Suella, bless her, of course, and says it's, it, it means genocide. Mm. Austrian police have banned it. But like you say, we've got courts in Europe ruling it protected speech. And, oh, gosh, the roots of it. I mean, the PLO called for the establishment of a single state way back, way back. Um, in the, the, the uh, revisionist Zionist manifesto, I think it was 1923, I think it's 100 years ago, the Iron Wall, Shabatinsky calls for a Palestinian state that's entirely Palestine from the Jordan to the sea, you know, mm -hmm. a Jewish ethnostate. So very complex. Both sides have sometimes used the idea of this. Yes. But we have to remember, you know, when people say it's a Hamas chant, it doesn't rhyme in Arabic. It doesn't work in Arabic, right? It's a Western chant. It's a chant in English, yes. and it's um, it's a Western chant. And there are people, I mean, Nima Sultani is a Palestinian-Israeli citizen, but a lecturer in London who mm. has said, you know, this is a fabricated, essentially, controversy to prevent solidarity in the West right. with Palestinians. It's only a call for equality mm. and the realize the right for self-determination. Mm. However, yeah. we have to, of course, be mindful that because of the way it's been misinterpreted, yeah. to some Jewish Israelis, it might sound more like a threat, and we don't want that. But I think that doesn't mean we shouldn't use it. That mm. means we should be very clear because the intention is everything. We are talking Absolutely. about equality. Correct. We're talking about freedom yeah. and nothing else. If it was sensitive, I would probably refrain it in certain areas, but certainly my sentiments would be that it is not anti-Semitic at all. It is purely no. for the freedom, of equal freedom for Palestinians. Freedom of everybody. For, for, for everybody, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, one last question for you, and mm. you can listen to a small clip as well. It is often said yeah. that the first casualty of war is truth. Let's, oh, listen, yeah. let's listen to a small clip from Mark Regev. Mm. The rubble. Uh, because so, they're the pictures Hamas wants you to see. Exactly my point, they're, dead, they're Mark. the pictures Hamas wants. There are also people no, that your government has uh, killed. You accept that, right? You've killed children, or do you deny? No, that? I do not. I do not. I do not. First of all, you don't know how those people died. Those children. Oh wow. First of all, we don't want to see a we single do. child have, uh, killed. Okay, here's a, here's don't a question want to see a single child you say, killed. I agree with you. Here, I agree with you. We shouldn't blindly believe anything Hamas says. But why should we believe Correct. what your government says either? Your military spokesman on Monday pointed to an Arabic document in the basement of a Gaza hospital and claimed it was a guardian list on which every terrorist writes his name. But that was false. It was just a calendar with the days of the week on it. Your colleague in the prime minister's office, Ophir Gendelman, posted behind-the-scenes footage from a Lebanese short film and claimed it was Palestinian 
West Indians in Gaza faking their own injuries. That tweet is still up a week later. That is endless disinformation from your government, is it not? I disagree. So he disagrees that the Israelis have killed children. Well, I mean, maybe um, a lot of babies in hospitals have spontaneously suffocated. Mm. Maybe a lot of children's heads have spontaneously fallen off. I think it's extremely unlikely, however. I mean, my heart bleeds. I'm a mum. My heart bleeds for Israeli parents whose kids are hostages. My heart bleeds for Palestinian mums, Palestinian Palestinian children. But it's not Hamas saying Israel has killed children. It is numerous, numerous, numerous reports from such press as, as is able to report from there, from people in Gaza. You know, we know that mums are writing their darling children's names on their arms yes. and legs in marker pen at mm. night. Um, oh, makes me want to cry. I know, um, I know. Because, so that so they, they could be recognised. Yeah. yeah, we can't deny it. It's ludicrous. And I'm astonished at the low, the poor level, frankly, of Israeli propaganda. These guys are just phoning it in, make an effort. Mm. You know, you cannot convince us you have not killed any children. We know that you have. You know, it's, it just shows how indulged they've been, how supportive they've been by, how supported they've been by global leaders, that these guys are not even trying. Mm. Their propaganda is a astonishingly poor and unsophisticated, indeed, I think. Indeed, and even Mehdi Hassan was taken aback by him, by the answer. Mm, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Louise, I'm ever so sorry uh, the time has caught up on us. We could oh, carry on fine. with our discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your views, your thoughts, and your empathy for the humankind and for your message of, uh, of peace between all nations. Uh, I think thank that you. is a message we want to share on, on with our listeners. And uh, thank you so much once again for thank joining you. us. Keep up the good work. Thank, thank you, you very much. And we'll have you back on our show very soon, I hope. Please do. Okay, thank you. Right, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for, one, for standing in for me, two, for hosting it very well, and for all the guests that Dr. Louise Rowe, uh, uh, Sarah, Lenny um, uh, also came in, and Dr. Freed, and to our listeners for, for listening in. So, And we must continue our prayers for Israel, for Palestine, that may peace be brought to their nations very quickly and peace for mankind as a whole.